0: So, in our initial classes, we started speaking about the godly soul. Yeah. Right? The godly soul's essence, the fact that the godly soul is unified with God, its attributes, the structure. We went through the sefirot. We went through the garments, thought, speech, and action. We went through the ways in which the godly soul becomes united with holiness and godliness. Now, we have to move on to something that is perhaps a little more familiar to us, and that is the animal soul. But when we look at the animal soul, we have to do exactly the same thing. We have to look at its essence. We have to look at its attributes. We have to look at its garments. We have to see how it functions. So, the animal soul's negative nature starts long before the animal soul's attributes and garments. The animal soul's negative nature is part of its essence, which means the animal soul isn't associated with the opposite of holiness only because its attributes and garments get used to or get used in unholy ways. But the animal soul has a problematic nature. And the problematic nature comes from the very fact that it exists. That it experiences that existence as something separate from the creator. So, simply put, the source of a person's spiritual conflicts is that they see themselves as the center of the world, believe that they are the most important thing that happens since sliced bread, that they are the most important element and they feel that they are greater, holier, and more special than others. And from this point comes all the rest of a person's negative traits. And what happens is the start of this separation from God. There's a, there's a story told of a scholarly Jew who lived in the times of the Baal Shem Tov. He studied Torah constantly, and he devoted his life to serving God. One day, he overheard people talking about the Baal Shem Tov, that he was a great uh, holy man, a tzaddik, he performed miracles. And he said, you know what? I think I'm going to go meet him. I want to know more about him. So during the trip, he began to wonder how am I going to know whether or not the Baal Shem Tov is truly a tzaddik, is truly a righteous person? So Torah knowledge can be tested with questions. But how do you determine if someone has divine inspiration? So he decided that he would accept the Baal Shem Tov if he could smell And sense that he was a learned Jew whose life was dedicated to serving God. And if he couldn't, then he probably wasn't a righteous person. So, the scholarly Jew arrives at the Baal Shem Tov's home and he knocks on the door. Who's there? The Baal Shem Tov asks. Me. The Jew replied. Now... This scholarly Jew's response prompted the Baal Shem Tov to quote a verse from the Torah. He said, can a man hide in a hiding place and I will not see him, says God? The Jew immediately understood what the Baal Shem Tov meant. The simple meaning of the verse is that God asks this question to tell us that it's impossible to hide from God do you really think you can hide from me and I won't see you? But the Baal Shem Tov offered a different way to read, a different way to interpret the verse. He said, if a man will hide in a hiding place as I, I will not see him, says God. That someone who conceals himself as an ani, as an I, Regarding such a person, he's not seen. It's the ego. It's the person hiding behind the ego. The Jew grasped what the, what the Baal Shem Tov was saying: when a person's eye, when when a person's ego is the most important thing in his life, then even if he leads a religious life, which is devoted to prayer. Which is devoted to Torah study. It remains unsure if he's truly connected to the realm of holiness, if he's serving himself and not God. It's as if he arrogantly is hiding from the world behind his religious observances. Without even opening the door, the Bashemtev had interpreted. The verse to precisely sum up the scholar's state of his personal growth and his divine service, teaching him that ego, that arrogance, makes you invisible to God. The Balshemtov's keen sense of smell was so apparent that he had perceived his guest more accurately than the Jew had assessed himself. This guy stayed with the Baal Shem Tov and became a, a devoted student of his. After a year of learning and growth and a renewed effort to improve his service of God, they actually read the verse together again. And it said, if a man hides in a hiding place and I am not, I will see him. When a person is in a state of I am not, which means humility, and ego nullification, then they're seen by God. There's a lot of people who can easily hide behind the guise of religion, behind the guise of Torah observance. They can use Torah observance as a way to be self-fulfilling, to... Prove their own purpose or prove their own ideas. But are they God's ideas or are they the ego ideas? Are they, my, are they my own ideas? What kind of ideas does the person have? What is the purpose of the service? What are they actually doing? It takes a tremendous amount of hard work, a tremendous amount of effort to draw. Holiness into our lives and not just to draw it into our lives, but to truly absorb it In many areas of life We have to push aside what we want And dedicate ourselves to what God wants. You see if it's always about what I want Then there it is the ego But by dedicating ourselves to something that is higher than ourselves then it's not about I anymore. It's not about the I that's the only letter in the English language that's always capitalized. The realm of holiness follows that, like it says, by the sweat of your brow will you eat bread. Meaning that it takes hard work. It takes Hard effort to earn profits. Nothing is given out for free. And this is why we're usually suspicious if anything is obtained easily, without effort. The sages would say, if someone claims that they obtained their goal and he didn't work hard for it, don't believe him. But if he says he worked hard and he achieved his goal, that's when you believe him. You should expect that hard work means you achieved your goal. Don't expect that your goal is going to come easy. And if it does come easy, then you made a mistake. This idea in our society of that life is supposed to be easy or that things are supposed to come easy to us, I think perhaps it's the first society that ever existed that thought this way. Who said it's supposed to be easy? Like what's the point of being in this world if you want it easy? The point of being in this world is to be here, to uplift it, to make this world a better place. And part of that is having to get submished, having to get one, become one with this world to a certain extent and to uplift it. To be within this world and to rise above it. But if the point of being in this world is to live it up and to have an easy life, then you can do that in the heavens. You don't need to be in this world. You can just be like an angel. Holy, holy, holy. Pray to God. Simple life. Whatever God wants, okay. That's it. That's easy. The angels, to a certain extent, on a spiritual level, they're sitting and relaxing on the beach all day. But the purpose for which we came into this world was not to have an easy time I know that in our society it's very hard to talk like this it's very hard to think like this but what happens? people have a hard time and it's like shocking why me God? why did you do this to me? Questions me. What, what, what did you think? What was supposed to happen? What, you couldn't pick someone else for a change? No, no, the point is that you have a particular purpose. And it's happening to you because you have a specific purpose that you need to fulfill. And a mission in this world, and this is part of your mission. So you can deny it or you can embrace it. Now let's go into the animal soul. Because the animal soul perceives itself as an independent entity that is separate from God, its emotional traits are also twisted, its emotional traits are also distorted, and these traits can be classified into four categories, and each of these categories can be aligned with one of the four elements. So let's look at the first element The element of fire The element of fire In the animal soul Is the source Of our anger and pride Both a flame And an arrogant person Constantly reach upward Pride is a person's efforts To raise themselves above others And both a flame and an angry person burn red hot. When you get angry, your blood rises to your face and you look like a flame that's rising. Pride and anger are connected in that pride leads to anger. A person who feels that they are above others is often angry since they perceive everything done by those around them as being directed against them. We'll be back after a quick break. Are you tired of swiping right on every dating app out there and still getting nowhere? Are you convinced that you'll forever be alone, surrounded by nothing but uh, cats and empty takeout containers? (laughs) <laughs> Hi, I'm Elisa Ben Shalom, the host of the new show, Jewish Matchmaking, which you can find on Netflix. And I'm the love rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Bernath, and we're inviting you to join us for Matchmaker Matchmaker. Each week, we'll answer one of your pressing relationship questions, from how to get over your ex, to how to deal with your partner's annoying habits. So if you're ready to laugh, uh, cry, or maybe even find love then tune into matchmaker matchmaker and it's available now wherever you listen to your podcasts. That everything people do is against them because I am the center of the universe. So if someone wrongs me, they wrong me. That's the element of fire. Now let's go into the element of water The element of water in the animal soul Generates cravings and desires for pleasure Water aids the growth of many pleasurable things So the animal soul has these desires for pleasure The question is, can you ever quench those desires for pleasure? Or it's just constant. One little bit of pleasure gets this thing that you want more pleasure, more pleasure, more pleasure. That's the element of water. What about the element of wind? The element of wind in the animal soul produces foolishness. It produces mockery, ridicule. Boasting, idle chatter, they're all connected to the element of air, since they represent a person making hot air that lacks real, tangible content. There's no essence there. There's no truth there. It's just the wind. That's the element of wind. What about the element of earth? The element of earth in the animal soul leads to laziness. It leads to depression. It's the heaviest of the four elements. The element of earth drags us downward. The same thing with laziness. When we're physically being dragged down, while depression is like being spiritually and mentally dragged down. And these also are connected because exerting negative influence on one another, because one of them will lead to the other. A lazy, fatigued person is on a path to depression. And sometimes a depressed person becomes fatigued and lazy. But don't give up. It's not as bad as it seems. Our animal soul also has good traits. It has traits like compassion. It has traits like being bashful. It also has a desire to help others. So let's take a look at that. God created everything of which Tanya calls ze lu'umat ze, with a counterbalance. In other words, everything you find in the realm of holiness has a parallel in the realm of non-holiness. Or lu'umat ze, as Tanya says, the other side. Just like when we started our discussion a few weeks ago. Uh, This discussion of the godly soul by analyzing the essential nature, and then we started moving on to the attributes. So, the same way we have to approach the animal soul, the opposites, right? We first look at the godly soul, and now the umatzeh, the other side, we're looking at the animal soul. So, now that we looked at the essence of the animal soul, let's analyze the attributes. The animal soul also has ten attributes. And the ten attributes are subdivided into two groups. The intellect and the emotions. The intellectual attributes are Chachma, Bina, D'at. The emotional attributes are Chesed, Gevura, Tiferet, Netzach, hod, Malchot, We already went through what those all mean. So I'm not going to define them now. But I'm going to define them now according to the way they're connected to the animal soul. Because the animal soul uses these attributes in a very different way than the godly soul. For example, Chachma. Conception. Conception in the realm of holiness... Leads a person to humility, leads a person to modesty. But in the realm of kalipa, which Kabbalah uses the word kalipa, which is shell, which is the concealment that covers up the godliness and holiness of the world, this is what we refer to as evil, kalipa. In this world, and the opposite of holiness, chachma, conception, leads to the very opposite not to humility and modesty, but rather to arrogance and ego and an overblown sense of self-importance. The more a person studies Torah, the more a person uses their Chachma for holy purposes, the greater will be their humility before God. As we grow in understanding we comprehend so much more of just how small and insignificant we are in comparison to God. We're able to more easily push aside two opinions and desires in favor of God's. But on the other hand, when we don't do that, when we're not focused on our spirituality, then we use our animal souls, Chachma. And the more we use our animal souls, Chachma, the more pride we have and the more arrogance we feel. And the emotional traits work in a similar way. For example, Chesed, loving kindness in the realm of holiness, is expressed for a love of God. Being being giving to others. But in the realm of Kalipa, in the realm of impurity... Chesed is expressed in a love for material pleasures. And basically, this perversion of holiness is found in all the emotional traits. The biggest difference between the structure of the two souls is that the intellect draws out and directs the emotions in the godly soul. And the mind rules the heart. In the animal soul, the emotions dominate the intellect and they use it to justify and validate its cravings and passions. The emotions, when they dominate the intellect, they're all over the place and they're able to use the intellect to justify anything that it wants. How it wants to work and and how it wants to see itself and its desires, its cravings, its its whatever it wants, it can use the animal soul for that. It can use the, the all of the attributes to be able to prove its point. The animal soul's cravings are in the level of someone's intellect. For example, children have less developed intellects and they tend to be attracted to simpler pleasures like candy, uh, uh, toys. When a child grows up, their intellect develops and they're attracted to more sophisticated pleasures like money and cars and blue suede shoes and honor. Children want toy motorcycles. Young adults want real motorcycles. The trait is the same, but it gets directed towards different things as the intellect matures and develops. But you can see how the animal soul is the same animal soul. Toy motorcycle, real motorcycle. So that's that's how it works. And left without any spirituality, left without any sense of holiness, it could run wild. And it can turn and and you don't even know there's no way to stop it I mean people going to casinos and and losing their homes over a bet I mean just there's there's no end to what it can do to you now let's take a look at the garments of the animal soul the two souls also parallel each other in the, in the realm of the garments. They both have thoughts. They both have speech. They both have action. But only the godly souls, thoughts, speech, and action, are connected to holiness, to Torah, to mitzvot, to spirituality. By putting its attributes into its holy garments, the godly soul can become united with God. But what does the animal soul do? By putting its attributes into its garments of anger and arrogance and cravings in thought, speech, and action, it becomes connected to the realm of impurity. We call that impurity in Kabbalah, sitra achra, which literally means the other side. generally we're found in one of three possible states either number one we're connected to the creator when our godly souls attributes are invested in spirituality in torah in mitzvot through thought speech and and deeds number two we can be connected to the other side to sitra to impurity When our animal soul's attributes are expressed in forbidden thoughts, and in forbidden speech, and in forbidden actions. So this is why doing something forbidden is called an Avera, because we Ma'avir comes from the word Ma'avir to transfer our capacity for holiness to the other side. Can you give an example of what that would be? an, An Avera? Yeah. Uh, killing mm-hmm. I mean any, anything that's uh, That is that, that is against the commandments mm-hmm. But the reason why it's called Ineverah is because it comes from the word Ma'avir to transfer What are we doing? We're transferring our Capacity for holiness to the other side And number three Connected to neither god or neither impurity. When we are in this, what I'm going to call, a neutral state, which means we have some kind of middle ground. We're not doing anything holy, but we're not really doing anything that's sinful. It's kind of like a middle ground. The funny thing is, that that is a very elementary way of looking at the world. Kabbalah and Hasidut, See it differently. There are only two opinions. Either we're connected to holiness or it's the opposite. There's no middle ground. Doing God's will unites us with the realm of holiness. Anything else attaches us to the other side. Anything else is impurity. So either we are actively becoming better or passively going the other way. There's no, we're not staying plateau. We're not staying in the middle. There's no way to stay in the middle. Either you go up or you go down. That's it. Now, although God is everywhere, when we say that something is holy, it means that God's presence is found there in a revealed in a conscious matter. And that only happens in those things that are self-nullified and dedicated to God. Which means, by transcending our desires, instead fulfilling what God wants instead of what we truly desire in a negative way, we are able to make a God We're able to make a space for God to dwell and be present. Pride, arrogance, an overemphasized sense of self prevents this godly revelation from happening. Sense of self and holiness are exact opposites. Arrogance pushes away God's revealed presence. And this is why a person would do well to stay away from a sense of false humility. You think that false humility is also good. But false humility is not good. There's a very famous uh, Hasidic adage. I don't even know the source of it. There was uh, late at night in the study hall there were two yeshiva students who were sitting on either side of the room and they're screaming, Oy, ich bin garnished Oh, I'm a nothing. And the other one is screaming even louder, Oh, I'm a nothing. And the other one is screaming even louder, Oy, 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 ich bin garnished Oh, I'm a nothing. I'm a nothing. And the other one is even screaming louder than him, Oh, I'm a nothing. I'm a nothing. Young man walks in and he sees these two men the two opposite sides of the study hall screaming, oh, I'm a nothing, I'm a nothing, I'm a nothing. So he gets very inspired. He sits down in his seat and he closes his eyes and he says, oh, I'm a nothing. The two of them look at each other and say, he, he's really a nothing. There's another story. A yeshiva student had reached marriageable age. He was considered a a learned student from a respected family and uh, he was arrogantly looking down at all the prospective matches that were being suggested for him. He would say they're not on my level. The head of the yeshiva saw that the student's perspective was twisted by his arrogance. So he decided to send him away to a yeshiva. where where they focused on learning the gateway of modesty in the hope that it would lessen his ego. After a year of study, he returned, and he was offered the last proposal that he made before he left. Turning to the matchmaker, the student says, a year ago, when I was a learned student, a Talmud scholar from a well-to-do family, you offer this match to me and I turned it down. Now, I have all these qualities as well as modesty. Do you really think I'd be interested? With our ego in check, we can dwell on the side of holiness. But when we're filled with self-importance, we're pushed over to the other side, and God's presence moves away. Now, how can it be that God created something that opposes Him and refuses? To be self-nullified before him. It's almost in a theological sense or a philosophical sense God creating a stone he can't pick up. Since God is everywhere how can parts of creation not do his will? Or even do the opposite of what God wants? Why would God sustain something that rebels against him? The answer is like this. God is indeed everywhere. And it's he who gives life to everything in creation. But God's reality is concealed. God's reality is undetected the vitality he provides is deeply layered and concealed under layers and layers of Kalipot, so that it's undetected by the outside observer, which is us. When we observe creation, especially those entities that oppose God's will, we don't see how God is giving them life. Even we ourselves don't feel how God is giving us life, how God is giving us vitality at every moment, and without him we wouldn't exist. We can't feel that. The Zohar explains that those creations that nullify themselves before the creator receive their vitality from him directly, It's compared to a person giving a special friend a gift with all their heart, face to face, with a big smile. And on the other hand, someone who opposes and rebels against him, they get and they receive their vitality indirectly in an offhanded way. When you have to give something to someone against your will, it's done with resentment. Resentment without any joy or willingness tossed to the person without even looking at them If someone needs to pay a traffic ticket he'll do it because he has to but he waits to the last possible date and throws in a few nasty words to the clerk or in that video I just saw he pours a bucket of nickels over over the counter so the same with creations who don't nullify themselves to God, to receive vitality indirectly in a more concealed and hidden way. And this leads us into the world of Kalipot. Our world is called a world of Kalipot, a world of Sitra Achra, the other side, a place where the wicked can thrive, where the wicked can dominate. The reason why the wicked dominate is because God is concealed and undetected in our worlds. As a result of God being concealed and undetected in our world, it's possible to feel as if there's no God at all. God forbid. People come to believe that there's no justice and there's no judge. And naturally it's acceptable To take care of my needs, even at the other's expense. Now sometimes, sometimes it's subtle. Choosing to benefit myself and not others where they aren't hurt by my actions. But sometimes it's more blatant. Like when a person is ready to hurt someone in order to fulfill their selfish desires. Kabbalah explains like this, that God created a system in which the world appears to be independent so that we could have free choice. If God's presence were revealed and known to all, then there'd be, would, there'd be no question. We would nullify ourselves before God. We would constantly fulfill God's will. But what we'd be lacking is the most important element, the element of free choice. The element of actions performed out of our own conscious decision-making. And it's for this reason that God created a world that conceals his presence, so that we, the people in the world, have the free choice to decide whether to serve God or to rebel against him and be rewarded accordingly. So I think now we can have a much better understanding of the animal soul. Today we were able to discuss its essential nature, its ego, and the importance of its nullification, its attributes of intellect and emotions, and the garments of thought, speech, and action that can oppose God's will. That there's either two ways of going. There's no middle ground. Either we go up or we go down. We go up actively and we go down passively. We can also go down actively as well. The animal soul primarily exists to give us this ability in this world to have free choice. We can choose the free choice of doing something against God's will, doing something selfish, doing something for our personal gain, or doing something for a higher purpose. The next level is going to be trying to understand the difference between holiness and the opposite of holiness. What's forbidden? What's permitted? How do you elevate things? That's going to be our next level. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do